Hello, love bug, and welcome to Chronic Sex, the podcast about how self-love, relationships, sex, and sexuality are affected by chronic illness and disability. Given the subject matter, this podcast is not suitable for those under the age of 18, and unless you have headphones in right now, you probably shouldn't be listening to us at work. My name's Kirsten Schultz, and I'm your host. It's good to have you with us today, wherever you are and whatever you're doing. I'm going to keep this intro pretty brief and actually even omit the happy-go-lucky music I usually do right before getting into telling you who my guest is. This is kind of a, an extra episode. Um, next week you'll hear from Lena Anderson, who I love and who is a great fighter for um, rights for those of us who have rheumatic diseases or use assistive devices and all of that, um, as I said at the end of the last episode. However, today being the day without immigrants, I needed to post this amazing conversation I had with my friend Nico. Nico lives with chronic migraines, but we don't really focus on that too much in this conversation. I mean, we talk about it a little bit, but it's definitely not the main point here. So today, Thursday, February 16th, is the Day Without Immigrants. This is where many people from other countries living in the United States stay home instead of working or going to schools. They do this to prove a point, to share their stories, and to share how frankly, shitty our nation would be without immigrants. And when I say stay home, I don't mean stay home and watch Bobby's World like I've been doing recently. I mean, they go and they protest. They gather, they share their stories, they talk about everything that they face, everything they have faced, everything they might be facing in the next, oh God, three years and... 11 months. (laughs) Not that I'm counting. See, if immigrants weren't around, this conversation would never have happened. Nico is from Trinidad and Tobago. I'll let him tell his own story, but as an undocumented immigrant, he has endured listening to the current administration's hateful rhetoric about people from other countries, and, and he hears it far more than a lot of us would think. There are some microaggressions that occur in everyday life that many of us who aren't marginalized in some way don't see or experience or recognize. That's what privilege does, right? It's, It's interesting to me to hear these perspectives and to hear the humanity behind all of this hateful rhetoric. You know, people aren't illegal. People are undocumented. Um, and we have a little little mention of that um, at a point in our conversation and why that's important. But we need to make sure that we're highlighting people's voices. As a white woman, I have a considerable amount of privilege, and I'm happy to be able to lift Nico's voice up so that other people can hear and understand what it is like to be undocumented. 
In our conversation, we discuss myths about immigrants, um, regardless of whether they're documented or undocumented, and ways we found to fight back. Nico starts off our conversation with a letter inspired by one he heard on NPR's Dear Sugars. It's not a copy, just something that inspired him to write this. I hope that this conversation brings you new ideas and a better understanding of the people around us and how harmful our words can be. I don't even know where to begin. I've been caught in a 21-year battle with time, and just as it seemed to be subsiding, it suddenly wasn't. I was brought to the United States at 10 years old and became an undocumented immigrant when my family decided not to go back to a dangerous country run by a corrupt government. Don't get me wrong. I do believe my parents made the right decision for my siblings and I, but I had nothing to do with this decision that has shaped absolutely everything about me. Despite having a good support group, it is still incredibly painful to listen to politicians and TV pundits hurl insults and judgments at my family without truly understanding my nature or my circumstance. I'm now 30 years old, and I understand that this may not seem particularly traumatic, but it is so alienating so vastly confusing, and in so many ways, so tremendously dehumanizing. After graduating with a civil engineering degree and a near-perfect performance, my career has been halted by a lack of documentation, my character challenged by searching for opportunities and being denied over and over and over again because of my legal status without consideration for my education, accolades, or talent. My relationships with women has been strained in large part due to my circumstances and my fear of being labeled a green card hunter. True love can sometimes seem insincere when your partner starts to believe that you are after something other than her. I have a constant inner conflict regarding my roots and my nationality. As far as I know, I'm an American and I can't be convinced otherwise. I've been uprooted and I legally belong nowhere. So much is stolen when one grows up as an undocumented immigrant. Not just time and opportunity, but self-worth, a sense of tribe and a sense of self. I'm in a no man's land. Americans won't accept me, nor do my birth country citizens identify with me. To them, I'm a runaway. To Americans, I'm a criminal. I'm confused as to how I can ever gain back the years lost. I feel like up to now I've been living on pause, waiting for some magic moment where I would be granted the opportunity to live normally like everyone else. Although perhaps what I've been lacking was the ability to accept that that moment will never come, to accept that this life is my life for the rest of my life. After 21 years, why am I still fighting? Why am I still waiting for that change? Perhaps I do believe that something will change, or perhaps I'm just protecting myself from a truth that I'm unwilling to confront. In any case, I'm tremendously and enormously grateful and thankful and delighted 
for the opportunities of this country. And I have absolutely no intentions or interest in leaving, ever. I'm not asking anyone for pity and certainly don't expect anyone to bear my burden. All I ask is, if you want to know who I am, don't take it from overly politicized media outlets. Instead, I leave you with a line from one of my favorite movies. You think the only people who are people are people who look and think like you. But if you walk the footsteps of a stranger, you'll learn things you never knew you never knew. And that goes for everyone, including myself. Thanks for understanding. Oh my God. That's it. That was amazing, Nico. That's how I get people to kind of understand how it feels to go through that that kind of a circumstance. I am just so impressed and so... uh, I'm speechless right now, honestly. Good, I'm glad I kind of got through... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, when when I was in my undergraduate collegiate career, I did um, a lot of work on immigration and documentation. Yeah, it was really, really cool. Um, Especially, like, I went to, because it was financially affordable, a private religious college um, that my family had some connections to and I was very taken aback while I was there just by how forward thinking still a lot of people were and there was a course all about immigration and all about um, documentation and how do we solve so many of the broken laws in our country And it was just a fascinating um, experience to go through and to read people's stories and to understand better the lives that other people live and how demoralizing and hurtful like people's comments can be. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people that hear it on TV and just repeat it, they don't understand that there's a person you know, behind it. Yeah. So I, I do think it's important to put a human face on it and kind of humanize it. But I think people relate to stuff like that. Yeah, they do. And it it helps them understand it better. Um, it, it helps them grasp, you know, potential reasons that things have happened and and all sorts of things that are just difficult i think for people to grasp without that like empathy to it right oh and then to end with a pocahontas line i just i'm glad i'm glad you got that (laughs) (laughs) it's one of my favorite movies i love that movie oh god me too my my sister who doesn't listen to my podcast or i'm sure she'd kill me um we she was obsessed with pocahontas when she was little because um her birth father's heritage was such that she was born very tan Mm -hmm. 
and I'm very pale, except right now I'm sunburnt and peeling and like half tan. But <laughs> she, um, she was obsessed with Pocahontas. So we watched it all the time when we were little and, and she would always mispronounce it as Pocahontas because we'd always watch Hocus Pocus. Okay. Got it. <laughs> And so it was like a confusing thing, but oh God, there was so many, so much, I've, I've found so much in Pocahontas, like through the years. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. you know, that line and that whole, like, no, you're not understanding us because you're coming at us from this place of hostility and harm and wrongful thinking. Like, like I mean- how perfect that, I mean, I think that has a lot to do with it. I think that people that kind of grow up in an area where they don't get to interact with people of other cultures or other races, they don't, I, I you know, I, I try not to fault them because they don't really have anything to go off of. But I think it's yeah. important to kind of get out of that that box and try to just understand people. I mean, like I said, that goes for me as well. Because I may not understand a lot of people i i try to see you know the trump supporters point of view i get it i don't think all of them are racist you know i think it's important that we kind of look at things from different points of views and it goes for everyone Mm -hmm. how how did you feel like was was there a specific point in kind of the election cycle that you knew that he was gonna win like and and how did that feel for you Because I know the whole cycle must have been awful, but, like, I know for me, like, the moment that my spouse and I knew he was going to win, we turned everything off. We went and laid in bed and cried for, like, the next five hours. (laughs) Yeah. I had a a good idea that he had a 50-50 shot before the election. I was probably one of the few people in New York that thought that. Yeah. But I, I, I got it and I understood his his cell. I didn't agree with it, but I, I, I kind of felt that it would have worked. But um yeah, I, I was watching the election and when um after he won Florida I turned it off. Yeah, that was about where we were too. <laughs> He's got it. My dad watched it till the end. He was like, No, she can still come back. I was like, All right, I'll see you tomorrow. Aww. And um yeah. Yeah, it was very demoralizing. I can't even, like, imagine, like... He says so many hurtful things about so many different groups, but I feel like when he talks about undocumented people, like... He just lets loose in a way that he doesn't with other groups. He puts a, a very dehumanizing twist on it. Yeah. I mean, I think he, he kind of stole that or hijacked it from the Republican Party in general. Yes. But he, he really, he really amped it up. He did. It's, um... I mean, they created the environment for it, so... Yeah, it's kind of like a... I don't know, like, if you were to build a pipeline through a spot, you shouldn't be building a pipeline through, and then an oil leak happens. Yep. <laughs> you set up the conditions for the oil leak. It's definitely your fault. Yeah. Oh. Uh, I can't believe we're going to go through this pipeline. We're going to do I... it. 
You know, I knew that if he won that they would do it because he has financial interest in it. But fuck. <laughs> You're doing that also. Uh, I hopefully just... our protests get to him. Yeah. I am so impressed by how many people are getting involved in protests and working to make like future protests better and more inclusive when they haven't been. Right. Um, like the Women's March... I had some issues with it because they were very, um, I don't know if you read their charter at the beginning, but they only mentioned disability twice. And the first time they did, they mentioned it essentially as a burden. Like we recognize that women are generally the caretakers for like the elderly and people with disabilities. And then the second time it was that like equal opportunity language, like, you know, where it really didn't mean anything. Oh, boy. And and so, like, I had some problems with the Women's March because, like, it was very... Um, well, one, it was very, like, white feminism anyway. Like, let's give ourselves a pat on the back for some people. <laughs> and that was like, uh, no. <laughs> that was a little bit of that. Yeah. Um, but then, too, just, like, how exclusionary... It was with some of that and like, you know, some of my trans friends not feeling included because everyone was wearing pussy hats and, you know, some of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, but, can, be, it can be a little insensitive. Yeah. Think about the larger picture. It did piss off Trump, though. It did. Oh, that was beautiful. That's great. <laughs> So if it pisses me off, it's good. Yeah. I I feel like there's a lot that pisses him off, but, like, not to the extreme that we all are getting now. Yeah, like, I, I was always, um, prior to this election, I was a little, I was always conflicted um, in relation to protests and whether they work or not. Mm-hmm. But uh, I have been very much convinced that they work since this election has started and since it's been over. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I think it's important for us to create an environment for our good politicians to have a narrative. At, at the very least, at least we show them support that someone's backing them up. And we yeah. can show them what to expect on election day. Like, hey, if we show up to vote, we'll show up to, to protest. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I, I, I've been very convinced that protests are incredibly helpful and necessary me too i um so i live in wisconsin home of scott walker uh-huh. and <laughs> um you know too, right? uh yeah i try to forget that one <laughs> <laughs> no but it's um you know it when he um when scott walker kind of took away the bargaining rights um, in like 2010, 2011, mm-hmm. um, there was a massive surge of protests here. Um, my husband is a state worker. I was for a short time after that. Um, and, you know, we both went and protested and did what we could. And it was just for, for it to be like our first real source of protest, mm-hmm. um, 
it was very enlightening to see different reasons why people were protesting and like, you know, just the very diverse groups of people showing up to protest. Um, that was really cool. Like for me, um, this was before my husband and I got married, but like, I wanted him to be able to have whatever rights. And at the time I was also studying Arabic and like my TAs were a big source of support for me and they were being threatened with some of this stuff too. And so like, I wasn't really there for me. I was there for my husband and for like my TA at the time, Tarek and like, you know, marching for their rights. And I think that was also an interesting thing, like, that I don't know how many other generations have had that, where, like, you'll go and march even if it doesn't necessarily directly affect you right now. Yeah, I agree. I don't I don't think many generations have had that. I think we're a special <laughs> group. I think we take the 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 line when they came for the communists. I remained silent because I was not a communist, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. When they came for me, there was no one left to speak up for me. I think we take that pretty seriously. Yeah, I I know um, some of the signs that were at the travel ban protests. Um, a, a bunch of them, you know, riffed off of that, and it was like first they came for the Muslims, and we said not this time, motherfucker. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> oh god it's so beautiful yeah so beautiful and i i also think it's so interesting like and we were talking about this a little bit before before um i hit record like just how compassionate like our generation is versus like generations before us and and how we kind of realize like you know, that stupid high school musical song, like, we all are in this together, and we all have to help each other, like... Yeah, I mean, I think we we get it. I think we genuinely get it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's just, like, a fad. Oh, no, not at all. Like, even those of us who grew up in, in oppressive households, like, I don't know if you and I have talked about this, my mother's a tea party person... I think I've heard this on your previous podcast. Yeah. Um, Ted Cruz follows her on Twitter. Oh, yes. I've heard you say that. Oh, yeah. That's... I feel like that sentence right there just explains who my mother is. But... um... Ted Cruz is a fan. (laughs) He likes my mom, so clearly I don't. (laughs) But, um, you know, even growing up in that kind of a household having connections with other people in our generation and realizing how wrong and how hurtful, like, you know, comments going on in my household were like, it's, it's just amazing how much I think empathy and compassion can kind of like persevere through like all that BS. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think a lot of our, our generation is kind of like that. We don't, Previously, in past generations, kids usually kind of take after their parents. But I, I, I think we we are very comfortable questioning authority. Oh, we yeah. I think that's good. I think it's a positive thing. I do, too. I, I think it's something that 
too, like, as we look at other countries, um, you know, my, my first round of grad school, when I was studying Arabic, I was also, like, really interested in um, the Arab Spring. And so, um, you know, looking at the waves of protests happening across Iran, across Libya, against these very oppressive regimes, um, and how forward-thinking, like, people in our generation are, even if they're not here, Mm-hmm. Um, I think is something that a lot of people miss when they talk about those things. It's, oh, well, they're just fighting against oppression. Yay. Like, no, it's, it's a very specific generation yeah, who understands like how much is on the line for them to protest, yeah. you know, with these oppressive regimes yeah, and, the, and they still do it. Like, yeah. it's amazing. It's cool that you speak. Did you do you speak fluent Arabic? Oh no, I I do not. Oh, okay. But I mean, like, I'm still pretty good at picking out words because it's it's been a couple years. Um, I'm still pretty good at picking out words. Like, <laughs> I used to listen to like, um, you know, like Al Jazeera news mm-hmm. in Arabic specifically so i could be like oh i know they're talking about a school <laughs> i know that word <laughs> yes <laughs> i mean I've, I've done the same thing like when i've learned other languages like when i was learning spanish it was always like i'd put on a telenovela mm, right. and i'd watch it and be like oh <laughs> somebody just disrespected somebody's sister <laughs> like i know that <laughs> I, I'm pretty good at Spanish. I'm not fluent, but I, I, um, what we call restaurant Spanish here in New York. Oh yeah. So, yeah. I'm pretty good at that because I've worked in several restaurants. So, uh, oh, yeah. It's a good way to learn languages. It really is. It's, I, I think a very, um, fun way and a very practical way too. Like, um, when I was learning Arabic, our TA was from Algeria and he was pissed because we were learning from this guidebook called Al-Kitab, which just is the book. Mm. Um, And like one of the first things you learn before you even learn colors or like numbers past 10, it's like terrorist lingo, like bomb, suicide bomber, you know, and I'm just like, really? This is not how you would approach any other language. Seriously. Like, like no other language would have you do this. It's pretty intense. Yeah. So nobody was really happy about that. (laughs) (laughs) So I know we were talking earlier about like some myths about being undocumented and like what what kind of myths have you encountered and like how do you bounce back against those oh yes this election they all came out oh they did oh boy it's kind of like just sitting there rolling your eyes like what are these people talking about this is insane well let's first let me first define what an undocumented immigrant is the easy definition is an undocumented immigrant in the United States, is a foreign-born person who does not have the legal right 
to be or to remain in the United States. That's the simple explanation, and that's where the simple part ends. There are several ways to become undocumented in the United States. One is obviously um, crossing the Mexican-American border from Mexico to America, and it is definitely not just Mexicans that cross. Mm-hmm. People don't get that. And it's certainly not only uh, South Americans. People come from all over the world to cross the border. So I do, I get that it's an issue, and I totally agree that we should, as a nation, have secure borders. I, I don't think anyone disagrees with that. But the, I, it's not just Mexicans crossing the border. Yeah. That's, that's silly. Um, the other way, and the more prevalent way, I believe, is people from around the world fly into the, the, to the United States as visitors or they come um, as students on a student visa, they come on visitor visas, uh, work visas, whatnot, and when their visa expires, they just choose not to go back. So once your visa expires, you're officially illegal, undocumented immigrant. So not everyone, I think it's about 50% cross the border and 50% fly over on visas. That's how mm-hmm. I came. I came on a visa. <clears throat> so that's mostly what people do. They fly over. So if you build a wall, great. You're not really going to stop that many people. But go ahead right. and build a wall. That's fine. You can build it. It doesn't really do much. <laughs> it doesn't. I mean, they'll just fly to Canada and cross that border. It's not a big deal. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I heard a, a statement um, that says, well, people that come here, they come here for like serious reasons. If they can't feed their kid because there's no food in Mexico, yeah, they're going to try to come to another country where they can. The wall is not going to stop them. If mm-hmm. mom can't feed her kid, she's going to find a way around the wall. But <laughs> yep. I, I don't know. It's like, oh, there's a wall now. I guess we'll stay here. Why, why would that stop anyone? Yeah. Go ahead and build a wall. It's fine. Whatever. <laughs> I mean, it certainly doesn't stop, like, and this is a horrible analogy to make, so please don't look any more into it (laughs) than, like, it's early and my brain hasn't completely woken up and I'm not, like, comparing you to this. But, like, it's like if you have an ant infestation in your house. Mm -hmm. They don't give a shit about the wall. Yeah. Exactly. No, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Like, they will find the doorway, a.k.a., you know, the giant part of Texas where there's, like, the Gulf of Mexico and you can't build a wall. Right. <laughs> it's just a wall. Okay, fine. It's one more obstacle. It's not a big right. deal. We'll right. For, for people who have already overcome so much, like, it really... No. It's 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 not an obstacle. It's just another bother. It's just like exactly. another annoyance in the way. It's like, ah, another thing to cross. Fine, we'll cross it. That's all it is. It's just a waste of money. But um, I, I understand that a physical thing that people can look at might help. Make them feel a little mm-hmm. more secure. Okay, fine. I get the argument, I guess. But, um, yeah. So that's how most people become undocumented. The argument I think that's been used the most is um, that they steal our jobs. 
So let's get into that. Illegal immigrants steal our jobs. By the way, illegal immigrants are undocumented immigrants. It's just that the undocumented community has kind of changed the the narrative away from the word illegal to undocumented just because it's a little more positive, I guess. I personally don't mind either way, but um, I understand the, the change in narrative. So I, I say undocumented as opposed to illegal. But I don't care. I don't get too hung up on the, uh, the terms. So, they steal our jobs. Okay. We steal our jobs. We don't have a fixed pool of jobs in the U.S. or anywhere else. Let's think about it this way. Let's say that in the year 1950, the United States had a total of a million jobs to hand out to everyone. And we think that there's a fixed supply. So the one million is a fixed supply of jobs that everyone just needs to battle for. What would happen? Well, a lot of people would go unemployed because there are way more people than jobs. Right. And the government can only create so many jobs internally. Also, the amount of jobs that the government can create relies completely on their budget, which relies completely on taxes. Mm -hmm. So how do you solve that problem? Very simple. Incentivize more Americans to be job creators so that we have more jobs to go around for everyone. And that's how the American economy has always worked. And that's why it's so incredibly efficient. Because mm -hmm. we are all encouraged to be entrepreneurs and be business owners. Now, when you say illegal immigrants are stealing your jobs, you're using the mindset that there are a fixed number of jobs in America and you don't want any extra competition. If the U.S. legalized undocumented immigrants and allowed them to start businesses, yes, we would certainly be introducing more job seekers into the economy, but we would also be introducing a lot more job creators into the economy, mm -hmm. which would be immensely appreciated and helpful to the economy and appreciated by Americans who are currently out of work. When you add more people to the economy, you add more businesses. That's just the way it works. That's the way America has always worked. That's why, especially undocumented immigrants, we care about owning businesses. If you even want to put a caveat that undocumented immigrants need to start businesses and create jobs, I guarantee you we'll be all over it. I'm in. I'll start a business. Let's do it. That's why we're here. We're mm -hmm. here to feel liberated. And there's, there's nothing more freeing and nothing more liberating to an immigrant, especially an undocumented immigrant, than owning a business. That's the ultimate validation. To know that you're no longer at the mercy of an oppressing, oppressive government or society. You now mm -hmm. have the ability to set your own course for your life and your family's life. You control your own future. So yes, we want to start businesses. We want to create jobs. We want to contribute to the economy. That's why we're here. So stealing jobs is it's kind of, uh, it's very contradictory. It's yeah. a little bit silly. I, I think too, like when people talk about this whole stealing jobs thing, a lot of people that I know who are either undocumented or like newly immigrated to America, they take jobs that people don't want. Like right. that white people here are like, oh, well, I don't want to like be a janitor at like a prison. That's so beneath me. Like, 
okay, but you need someone to do you it. Can't, <laughs> so. Right. And and you can't complain that somebody's stealing a job if it's not a job you would ever do either. Like right. If, if you're so, like, high-strung and snobbish that you're like, oh, I can't do that. I'd ruin my manicure. Like, no. <laughs> right. That's what, And then the argument is, well, if they, it paid more, maybe I would do it. Well, it doesn't pay more. Because if right. it did, there would be less of those jobs. Right? The point is to create more jobs, not a little bit. Exactly. Um, and... I, I genuinely do believe Trump, he knows how much undocumented immigrants can contribute to the U.S. because I've heard him say it several, several times. Mm-hmm. But he chooses to ignore that to get votes, obviously. The true narrative that illegal immigrants are not stealing American jobs just doesn't fit the narrative of his campaign. It doesn't yeah. instill panic. It doesn't instill a sense of urgency, which is basically his sell. It actually mm-hmm. calms people down, which is no good for his campaign. Oh, exactly. You don't want people being like, oh, okay, well, then I'll be nice to my undocumented neighbor. Like, no, you want people up in arms and, like, bringing torches and pitchforks. Right. You want panic. You want urgency. That's Mm -hmm. the sell. And I get it, but I don't agree with it, obviously. I think (laughs) it's manipulative and it's harmful to a lot of communities. And I don't think he has any intention of reversing it. No. I don't. He just um, he manipulated and used a lot of people. And um, it worked, but it was wrong. Yeah. And uh, that's why I'm here. I wanted, I, well, I think we spoke earlier that I wanted to start my own business. Yeah. And I am starting my own business. I am so excited for you. I'm really, really excited about this. Yeah, it's going to be great. Um, it's a dating site for people with health conditions. I came up with it several years ago because one, I have, well, I, I've always had chronic migraines my entire life, but I came up with it because I have this weird skin condition called tinea versicola, which is, Ooh. I have dark spots all over my body. Mm-hmm. So I used to look kind of like a leopard. It's, it's been, uh, it's been subsiding over the years so it's a lot better now that's when i came up with the idea and i decided to start it in 2012 and i've been working on it for about a year and um it's going to be launching in the next month or so i am so excited for this because that's like oh it's dating is so hard i mean like you know this everybody I'm, listening to this knows this yeah. like <laughs> Yeah. It's already hard. And then you add in illnesses, especially like when they're somewhat visible and people don't understand. Yeah, it's a little difficult to explain. Yeah. Like, no, like, I I don't like scratch myself so that I have scabs all over. I have psoriasis. <laughs> like, Yeah. And the first the first question is, is it contagious? I'm like, no, it's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> right. It's always like. Are you gonna harm me with it? It's it's not yeah. like, what's going on with you? Like, are you okay? How can I support you? It's like, are you gonna kill me with whatever's on your skin? <laughs> yeah, yeah it's that's always, not how it was. Very defensive. Yeah. 
<laughs> but yeah, that's why that's why I came up with it, and uh, I think it'll be good. I've gotten I've gotten more positive than negative, but it's very I guess it's very polarizing because it's always no way or hell yes. It's never mm. anything in the middle. Yeah, which I think is good. I think so too. I I think that um, it, you know, ha- speaking as like one entrepreneur to another, you know, like having some controversy type stuff around what you're talking about really gets people like interested in learning more even if they don't like even if it's not necessarily a product they would use or like a system they would use they're like oh this has the name sex in it or oh like what are you talking about right right (laughs) so i'll send you you the, the link when it's when it's up you can be oh. first beta testers. That would be amazing. I would I would love to do that. Alright, awesome. Oh, I'm so excited for this. It'll be great. <laughs> it's gonna be good. So how shall we get into how, some more myths? Yeah. Let's see. Where are some good ones? Uh we don't pay taxes. Let's that's oh, a good one. That is a good okay, one. So first of all, we definitely do. <laughs> I know because I've been paying a lot of taxes. Oh, no. So it's very annoying when people say I don't because I know it comes out of my paycheck. <laughs> so one, there is a processing number called an ITIN, which is an individual tax identification number, which is issued by the RRS to ensure that people, including unauthorized immigrants, pay taxes even if they do not have social security numbers and regardless of their immigration status. So, yes, the illegal immigrant pays taxes. They actually pay billions of dollars a year in taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking this up, and according to ITEB, the Institute of Taxation and Economic Policy, undocumented immigrants pay approximately $12 billion a year in taxes. Income taxes, sales taxes, and property taxes, which is pretty much the answer to anyone who is asking why doesn't the government just deport us it's because we contribute 12 billion dollars a year to the economy that's why they want to deport us you think they're willing to give up that much money no it's not gonna happen Mm -mm. so yeah we contribute a ton to the economy and on top of that we actually don't get those money those taxes back so we can't collect uh, tax refunds we don't get social security benefits we don't get welfare benefits um, so we don't get the money back, but we are very happy to contribute to the economy. That's, I think that's the only thing that kind of makes us feel American, mm-hmm. is that we get to pay taxes. So we're, yeah, we're okay with it. You, you know, it's funny, I think, because we were talking a little bit earlier today about how kind of the baby boomer generation seems to be the one leading this charge against, you know, the others. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, if you're not, like abled, cishet, white, rich, like, you know, they attack you. And um, (laughs) I think it's so interesting because essentially all of the taxes that undocumented people have paid and and don't take back and don't collect these benefits, that's what's kept Social Security running for the last several years. Yeah, sure. Like, that's the only way there's money in it. Yeah, I mean, and... You leave it up to the Republicans, they're already trying to cut Social Security benefits. Oh, it's so bad. They're out of control. 
And you know they're going to kick it back to the immigrants and say, oh, well, the immigrants are taking the money. That's where it's going. Right. And like, no, no, honey, that's not. No. That's not how any of this works. So it's, it's, it's a bit frustrating. Yeah. To hear the narrative of we don't pay taxes. Well, can I get my money back at least? Right? Like, shoot, if I don't pay taxes, like, yeah. give me the tax money I've paid. <laughs> if we're paying it, at least, you know, try to treat us like human beings if you're going to take our money. Come no, on. I'm, I'm sorry. That's not allowed here. This yeah, is America, the land of the free and home of the brave, not the land of the compassionate and home of that. the people who care. <laughs> Come on, guys. Oh, it's so bad. And and I think, too, like, it, a lot of Republicans kind of praise things like the migrant worker program and stuff. That, um, for those not familiar, they it's the program by which people from Mexico come up into the agricultural centers in the United States mm-hmm. to essentially do farm labor. Mm-hmm. Um, they're paid horrible wages, they're kept in horrible conditions, um, and basically, like, if they make a mistake, it's like, well, okay, thanks for all your time, go back to Mexico now. They, they praise this system without realizing how detrimental it is to people, um, or maybe they do, and they don't care, that's possible. But, like, it is so harmful to families, it is so harmful to the people themselves. And then, you know, you have, it, it's interesting. I was reading this story the other day um, about all of these farm owners and agricultural center people who like voted for Trump because they want the wall. They want limited immigration, all this stuff. And now they're like, oh shit, we might not have migrant workers then. And now what are we going to do? I don't want to farm my whole farm myself. <laughs> no. Who's going to build this wall? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh, gosh. I There was something else I was reading the other day that was talking about, you know, the juxtaposition between wanting to spend all this money on building this wall and... um you know, wanting to save money by like cutting social security and disability benefits and healthcare benefits and all this other stuff. And so somebody like very snarkily has suggested that we write the names of everybody who dies as a result of these things on the wall if it gets built. So that people like can see, hey, this wall was paid for with the blood of these people. Like that's funny. Oh, God. It's... It's terrifying, though. It is. Like, I honestly laugh at it because if I don't, I will cry. <laughs> yeah. Laugh so you don't cry. Oh, God. And I, I hate crying. Oh, I hate crying. <laughs> oh, I, I don't mind a good cry every now and again. <laughs> it's like, if it's, it's a, if it's a laughter-induced cry... Yeah, okay. I, I am down for that. Like, I love that. But I just, I don't do, like, downer emotions well. <laughs> if it's like watching a YouTube video of, 
of uh, a soldier coming home and his dog running to him, I'll take that cry. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's I will okay. gladly give that cry. Yeah, that's fine. <sighs> or, like, the ones where, like, the soldiers are, like... Um, there, there have been some where there's, like, a kid and they're throwing out the first pitch at a baseball game and then, like, surprise, the catcher's not the catcher, it's your dad and he's home, like... Yeah. <laughs> I'll I'll cry for that. I'm I'm down. Or like cute animal videos. <laughs> Any animal videos, I guess. Oh god, yes. I have to send you videos of our guinea pigs. Oh. Oh, that's another Oh, that's right. You do have guinea pigs. I do. <laughs> They're very cute. <laughs> right. <laughs> they actually one of them woke me up this morning. He, um, we let them run around on the floor and he was running around on the floor and decided to sleep under the couch. And so I slept out on the couch because I, you know, wanted to be there when he woke up and decided he wanted to go home. And so about 530 this morning, about 12 hours after we put him on the floor, <laughs> I hear him like, you know, chirping and trying to get my attention. And I was having this dream that I was in New York, actually. I love being there so much. Mm. Have you lived and there? I have not lived there, but I, um, my sister-in-law lives in Queens, in yeah. Astoria. So um, I've, I've been there to visit her and then for, like, a couple other, like, conference things. Actually, I got to see Hamilton. Did you? I did. How did you pull um, so I was there, I was on this panel for a company and like the thing ended at like 2.30 and I'd already told them that I wanted to stay the second night because like it's just too hard to then like go home, like fly home in the afternoon and just, mm. so they like gave everybody their, um, you know, payment for participating and it was like $500 and then I just happened to look on, like, StubHub. <laughs> and there was, like, it ended up being, like, $480. Whoa. <laughs> Which, I mean, I came to New York without that money. So I was like, well, if I go home without that money. Okay. I really don't mind. Okay. <laughs> That's fair. So, yeah. So, and it was, like... Um, in, in the balcony, but like in the middle and like just a perfect view of the stage. Oh, wow. It was so cool. That's like, awesome. um, the guy next to me just started crying like <laughs> <laughs> way earlier in, in the play than I did. Just, oh. was that, uh, when Lin-Manuel was uh, actually in it? No, it was, like, right after he left. It was um, the first show in November, actually. And so it was right before um, Chris Jackson, who played Washington, left, too. Um, which, it was really cool to see him do his thing, because he is just an amazing singer. That's awesome. Oh, God, it was so cool. But One day. Uh, one day. Yes, one day. Hey. I I want to like I felt bad because like obviously my husband wasn't with me 
and he would not have spent enough money to get a second seat by me anyway. Mm. And <laughs> so now I'm like, great. I'm like the only person I know who's seen Hamilton. And now I just kind of feel shitty that nobody else has gotten to see it. <laughs> <Man>. <sighs> but yeah, so, so my guinea pig woke me up this morning and I was I was dreaming I was in New York at this like coffee shop slash bookstore and he was like running around like greeting everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and then like my brain suddenly clicked in like, no, why would I have brought him to New York? <laughs> yeah, and not like, the fact that he was greeting everyone. It's right? that you you wouldn't bring him to New York. That's silly. No, he'd get smushed. Like, come on. And then I sat straight up and he was sitting on the floor looking up at me like, Mom, 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 can I go home? (laughs) (sighs) But I need to come back and visit again soon because there is just nothing like being in New York. Like, I usually, I sometimes get like these really, um panicky moments if i'm around a lot of people but i don't ever have that in new york yeah i think you don't have a choice no that's true (laughs) new york was great after the election it was just a good place to be it was very comfortable it was we were there like the weekend after the election to visit my sister-in-law and it was Like, looking around at so many signs about the love Trump's hate and, you know, <laughs> she deserved to win. And <laughs> all of these things and just all of these businesses being so extra kind and supportive. Like, I don't know. I I feel like New York is a supportive place. Yeah, it's pretty inclusive. Yeah. I gotta say that. In the... Um one of the, the subway stations, the 14th Street subway stations, they were just sticky yeah. notes everywhere throughout the entire station. Oh, all wow. the walls. Uh, Trump loves Trump sucks. Hillary <laughs> is the best. It was, I took a bunch of pictures. It was everywhere. That's beautiful. We oh. back each other up. I think it has a lot to do with the fact that Hillary was actually our senator for a long time. Mm-hmm. She was our senator right after 9-11, so we're, um, yeah, we back her up. I think that I think that's what a lot of people kind of remember. Yeah, and I think, too, the fact that Trump has run businesses in New York for so long, people know people who have been burned by him. Yeah, no, people definitely know who he is. We, we get him. We, we definitely yeah. get him. We, we know him more than a lot of people other people that just know him on TV we we, Mm -hmm. because we see him in the local news and whatever so yeah we we know who he is very very much so yeah it's no he and honestly he abuses people who are undocumented all the time to like get work out of them for cheaper and then like turns around and doesn't actually pay yeah and then they have no recourse yeah, there was um, there was a story about undocumented immigrants working in New York, working to make his his hats, his Make America Green hats. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that sounds about right. 
Oh it just I don't know. I don't know how people buy it. Um <sighs> they do. Oh no, it's bad. It's like again, it's one of those things where I have to like laugh to not cry. Laugh to not cry. <laughs> right. Like, ah, uh... Because, like, I get it. Like, obviously, you know, growing up with my mom, I understand where people are coming from. But it's just horrifying. It is. I mean, we, New Yorkers, we should know the most about both candidates. One was our senator. Yeah. One one is a New Yorker, born New Yorker. So we know them very well. And especially people that, that kind of claim this 9-11 thing as a way to vote against Hillary, it's like, how about you ask a New Yorker about 9-11? Okay? Yeah. I think we would know more than you guys that live in Texas, right? I mean, maybe just a little bit more. Just a smidge, you know, like, y'all had to breathe that. (laughs) Like, we know who helped us. You don't need to tell us who helped us. We were there. It definitely wasn't Donald Trump. I know that. No, it wasn't. Like people don't realize that Rudy Giuliani was the mayor for like three months after 9-11. He resigned that December. Yeah. I guess it was too tough. And he's the <laughs> guy. And for the three months, he basically just reminded everyone that he was the senator. That's it. And then he just Yeah. He it was so him. weird. Like, yeah. It's like, dude, you didn't do anything. And he's the one claiming 9-11 for himself. Like he did everything. And we in New York, like, dude, no, you didn't. You barely did anything. It was you, Bloomberg and Hillary and Chuck Schumer. That was it. There was a yeah. people around us. Uh, um, I, don't, I don't know. People don't get it. It's so weird. Like, I feel like Rudy showed up for, like, photo ops. Like, oh, I'll look good and put on this mask and pretend I'm helping. Yeah. Like... Great, good for you, but that doesn't actually mean you helped. Right. Like, just because you got your suit dirty. Yeah. Got a couple pictures. All right, well, good for you. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Oh, God. It's so bad. It's so bad. How, How is it to, like, navigate dealing with chronic migraines when you're undocumented like is it it's just another thing i didn't know that i had chronic migraines when i was younger because i I grew up with it i thought it was just a thing until i started hearing about chronic migraines and i was like oh i think i have that (laughs) and then i went to the doctor and he's like yeah you definitely do so then he gave me like a list of triggers of things that may or may not trigger. So I had to like kind of go through all of these things and find out if certain things trigger me. And then I was like, oh yeah, I definitely have it. So it's chocolate, definitely triggers it. So I, I don't have <sighs> um, Any kind of cold cuts foods because they have this weird chemical in it. Oh, Hot interesting. Ham, that kind of triggers me. Um, I'm also lactose intolerant, so I can't eat cheese, but cheese does actually trigger my migraines as well. Oh, wow. Yeah, very strange. Uh, coffee, too much coffee triggers it and not enough mm-hmm. coffee triggers it. Because <laughs> yes. I, I have a bit of a coffee addiction. So it's like I have to stay in that middle ground of coffee. <laughs> it's yes. a very, very tight rope walk. 
Um, yeah, I, um, like, I've not been diagnosed with chronic migraines, and I certainly don't think mine are chronic, but I do get migraines from time to time, and, um, yeah, it's usually, like, if I, like, overdid the caffeine or underdid the caffeine. Yeah, it'll hit you. Yeah. Oh, God. But I, I figured out how to manage it, so it's pretty, it's not that bad. I just walk around with a lot of ibuprofen. Mm, yeah. That's always fun, too. And then yeah. you sound like you're, like, a maraca. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so. Oh, my God. So I have, like, three questions that I've been asking everybody. All right. And they're kind of fun to answer. I feel you will enjoy them. So the first one is, and I stole this from James Lipton in the Inside the Actor's Studio because I wanted to. Um, it's, what's your favorite curse word? My favorite curse word is probably clusterfuck. Ooh, I like that one. That kind of describes most of my life. Have you heard, there's a Tech 9 song called Clusterfuck. No, I haven't. You have to listen to it. It is like, it is the perfect, I think, explanation for our generation. It's like, this person's talking about how, like, they grew up in one religion, and then, like, their mom married someone else, so then they switched to Islam, and then, like, growing up, how they didn't feel any one religion fit them, and so they feel like they're just, like, a clusterfuck. Mm. (laughs) It's really good. That's good. That's good. That's about. That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I use that a lot. It's good. Clusterfuck it's and good. bumblefuck. I like, but I don't get to use it that much. Mm, yeah. It's. I feel like clusterfuck is just like such a nice, well-rounded curse word. I know. It has such a nice feel to it. It's very comforting. (laughs) It's so funny. Oh, God. And it can be used in, like, any way. I mean, it tends to have, like, a more negative connotation. It can be used as a term of endearment. Why not? Right. Yeah, well, like the Tech 9 song. Like, I'm a clusterfuck. Like clusterfuck. That's fine. (laughs) Which I feel like explains our lives dealing with illness and stuff anyway. (laughs) It really, it really rounds it out. It really does. Um, what is your favorite thing to do to like take care of yourself? Like, do you have anything that you like to do for self care that is just really like your go to thing? Um, Music, I think music is probably the number one thing. I think it's pretty yeah. good. Uh, comedy shows. Ooh, yeah. I love comedy shows. My, I think my favorite comedian is actually Louis C.K. <gasps> He's it. so funny. I, I saw him at Madison Square Garden last month or two months ago. Was, oh, I was, wow. I was, I was, yeah, I got front row seats for like, I think <gasps> it was like 60 bucks or something like that. Holy cow. Yeah, his tickets are always really cheap. You just have to get them quickly. I got them about four months in advance. Oh, this yeah. is good to know. <laughs> yeah, he's awesome. He's great. Like, 
So yeah, I, I would say comedy shows, music, and having a good cry. Mm-hmm. Having like a good YouTube cry. Yeah. Have you ever seen that um, that Fresh Prince clip when his dad left him? Oh yeah. That's oh, a that's good, a good cry. That's a good cry. <laughs> that's a good cry. <laughs> It's like, intense, man. I'm <laughs> like intense. tearing up right now. <laughs> that's like good YouTube cry, man. Oh yeah. Oh, that's good. <sighs> yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with having a good cry every once in a while, like a positive yeah. cry. You know, I gotta get it out. That's true. I mean, like you don't need a buildup of tears. Yeah. And then it's like, all right. Let's get back to work. Now I can get some shit done. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Last question is, what is your favorite thing about yourself? My favorite thing about myself would have to be my sense of empathy. If mm. I'm not doing my own horn. I mean, there are a lot of things. But I'll narrow it down to my sense of empathy. I think I, I try my best to go out of my way to put myself in other people's shoes, to see things from other people's perspective. I think that's what kind of makes me successful at my job. I think it's what makes me successful as a business person. It's what mm-hmm. makes me a good human being, I think. Yeah. I think people should try to do that more often. I think that that's what I like most about myself. I genuinely care about other people's points of views i love that so much and i love that that's like your favorite thing like i'm very (sighs) i I try to be very conscious of it yeah because i i I don't agree with everyone but i i try to get them yeah and i think that's important too like you know (laughs) even thinking back to like freshman english when they teach you how to write a good essay it's like you have to know the other side to be able to like right rebuke them right otherwise yeah i don't uh, think other- it's helpful to just be on your own on your own side yeah it doesn't help the conversation it doesn't and it doesn't really get any progress done either right Ugh. i um i i read a couple of Breen, what's her name? Breen Brown, Doctor Breen Brown. Oh mm, yeah. She yeah, she writes some really good books on empathy and happiness. She she explains it really well. She explains <gasps> empathy as a way of taking someone's point of view and accepting it as the truth, and that's it. Not accepting oh, that's it. Yeah, not accepting it as a reason to have an argument. Just accepting it as truth. And I think that's that's really that's really good. That, that gets to the heart of it. I don't think you have to just rebuke every everything someone says. Just yeah. understand that that's how they feel. That that's okay that they feel that way. Ooh, I like that too. In that, like, you know, no matter how somebody feels, like those are their feelings, and they own those feelings. And even though those feelings may be based on like incorrect facts, <laughs> right. alternative facts, like <laughs> <laughs> we we don't necessarily have 
a, a place or a standing to tell somebody no what you feel right now is wrong right exactly you can't tell someone that their feeling is wrong I, right that's exactly right right oh oh that's good that is like such a perfect thing i think even to end this like how we, you know we've talked about this whole conversation has been about generating empathy and correcting alternative facts but doing so in a way that like helps to open other people's minds and not like I don't know like verbally shit on them <laughs> yeah yeah I don't think um, I think people have their points of views based on experiences Mm-hmm. And if they don't have a different experience, they can't have a different point of view. So you have to help them find that different experience. I don't think you should just argue with them for no reason. Mm-hmm. Just show That's them a different perfect. experience, and they'll find a different right. point of view on their own. It's perfect. Absolutely perfect. Oh, Nico, I've had so much fun having you on and like finally getting to talk to you and... <laughs> Really, like, exploring all of these interesting intersections that, like, make you who you are. Like, that's been so cool to listen to. I'm so glad I came on. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's very, very exciting. Well, thank you. And um, I hope that everybody listening has gotten, like, a little bit of an eye-opener as to what it's like to be undocumented and... Um, I'll include some links on empathy in the show notes so that people can kind of start their own journey into empathy work. I hope that hearing from Nico has helped to shift your perspectives on people who are undocumented in the United States and abroad. They don't come here to steal your jobs. They don't come here to ruin our nation. They come here to create a better life for themselves. They come here for the same reasons that we love our country. Because it offers us opportunities that may not always exist elsewhere. And it's important we remember that. Please check out the show notes for some important links on empathy work. Um, This will also definitely include a link to my dear friend Kate McCombs' tea and empathy workshop. It's one of my favorite things, and I've been lucky enough to run a couple of these workshops with her. But even just playing with the cards by myself in my pajamas, um, (laughs) it's, it's been vital with my personal journey with empathy as of late. Empathy work is not easy to do when you feel like half the nation sucks. (laughs) Or there's so much hate and vitriol being spewed that you just want to punch everybody. I have some anger issues, can you tell? It it comes with, with the territory of PTSD and why I have PTSD, but, you know. Take care of you. Remember that you matter, regardless of what hurdles you've had to metaphorically or literally jump. 
a person is a person, no matter whether they're documented or not, whether they receive tax breaks or not, or whether they're even capable of being able to receive, you know, their tax refunds. Everybody matters. I hope that you take that throughout your day. And throughout the next three years and 11 and a half months.